You are listening to a podcast from Classic City Church. We're glad you've joined us. Our services are held at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 595 Prince Avenue in the Piedmont Sanctuary. For more information, please visit www.classiccity.org. This is a sermon from Pastor Lee Mason. Good morning. If you have a Bible with you, if you would, turn to the book of James in the New Testament. We're going to look at chapter 3 of the book of James. And those of you online, uh, thank you for tuning in. We are just delighted to have you uh, sharing in this church service with us. And for you online and for everybody here, I have one special announcement that on November 29th, which will be the Sunday after Thanksgiving, we will briefly, uh, until January, be returning to having one service, and we'll go back to 10.30, as we were doing uh, before we were interrupted by all this. But we'll be going back to 10.30 on November 29th. Again, that's six, seven weeks from now. We'll continue to announce it the next several weeks, but we'll just, we'll go back to one service and we'll probably go back to two services in January. We, Lord only knows what's going to happen in January, but I think uh, as we understand things, we're going to go back to two services, uh, probably the 10th of January. So we're going to have a, uh, that's, that's going to be our, our holiday schedule. So anyways, good to see you. James chapter three, we have been doing a series of, of messages uh, that are focused on the topic of racial reconciliation and racial uh, integration and, and doing that uh, in our church, God's will for that in our community, in our city, and for us as believers here in Athens. And sort of the, the route we've taken <clears throat> so far is a few weeks ago we talked about from a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 where Paul talked about uh, what it was like uh, for Christianity to spread and change a community. And he talked about how when, when Christianity goes in, it is like an army. It's like an invasion of what he called the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God is going in, it's invading, and it's there to prevail and to tear down and demolish something he called strongholds. Now, in their world, they would have understood a stronghold in a community to be a tall, walled-in area, a walled-in part of the city where the the main part of the city would have been protected, particularly by uh, munitions and by bulwarks and by all these things to keep something outside from coming in. Because if, if, if what was outside came in and penetrated and actually broke through those walls, they were taking over that city. And so there were strongholds erected. And Paul said, you know, we are as... As Christians, we are fighting these. We are coming against these. And our, our mission and our ministry is to go tear these things down. And he actually said, God has given us divine weapons, weapons that are divinely powerful, to tear these strongholds down. And as we look at the scriptures, we look at what God wants for a community, and we see what's not like that in our community, one of the strongholds that exist is a stronghold of racial segregation. There's just no doubt about that. And what we want to do as believers, we want to tear that wall down. And we understand God's given us divine weapons that are divinely powerful 
to do that, to see these walls, to see these barriers, to see these structures come down so God's kingdom can be better demonstrated in our community. The idea of destroying strongholds. And, uh, you know, and strongholds are things that exist not only in our community, but because they exist in our community, sometimes they can exist within us. We can, we can think in the same categories as our community pretty easily. Um, it's interesting to read. Who was, who was Jesus' closest disciple? Everybody know who he was? Simon Peter, right? The apostle Peter, Jesus' closest disciple. And you would have thought Simon Peter would have learned from Jesus when he saw Jesus teach about the Good Samaritan, reach out to the Samaritan woman. He faced racism and, and being called a Samaritan in his community. You would have seen him reaching out to the Greeks and the non-Jews and the way he integrated himself, the way he reached out to others. You would think somebody following Jesus would have gotten, hey, that's what we do. But when you read the book of Acts, after Jesus left and the early church was growing, Simon Peter and the apostles had a difficult time actually crossing racial barriers. It was a very difficult thing for them. And in Acts chapter 10, there's a long chapter in the book of Acts that details how they got over this hump. And what basically happened, Peter, the disciple, the, the great apostle, had a vision and in that vision, God communicated to him, hey, <clears throat> get out of your racial barriers. Get out of your, your, your walled-in religion. I want you to break out, and I want you to touch other races around you. And he had this vision. But it took that for him to get out of these mindsets he grew up with. And in fact, you can read in the book of Galatians, even after that vision, there was a time where Peter was still, when he would go to the church in Jerusalem, he would eat only with people who were his own race, only Jews. He would not eat with the non-Jews. And Paul came in and was like, man, this is not right. He kind of called him out in front of everybody. And it just, it's something that can be very challenging to deal with. It takes a lot of work. It takes uh, openness to the Holy Spirit for us as human beings even born-again human beings, uh, to, to cross these barriers that exist. And so we have these strongholds we talked about that, that God wants us to tear down. And once they're torn down, powerful things happen. And that's why we want to do this. We want to see the kingdom of God come with greater power, greater force, and greater demonstration in our city. And the second thing we talked about was sort of a practical way to live this out. And it's from a teaching Jesus did in Luke chapter 10, very famous sermon, where he talked about the story of the Good Samaritan. And what happened in that story? Jesus was preaching and teaching, and a, basically a PhD in, in the law uh, was in the crowd, and they were dialoguing, and the, the guy and him got into a discussion with Jesus. And the guy asked him, you know, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus replied to him and uh, asked him what it was. And he replied with the, what's called the Shema, which is love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him, okay, do that and you'll live. And something about the way Jesus said that unnerved the guy. And he asked this question. He said, who's my neighbor? Now, that guy was an expert in the law. He knew what the law said. If he had read the Bible, he would have read in Leviticus chapter 19 that he said, the foreigner living among you, you are to, don't mistreat him, and actually you're supposed to love him 
like you love yourself. Treat him like he's a native-born person. That's what God told them to do. He wanted them to do that. He wanted them to reach out to people who were not like them, uh, his people, and treat them like they were his own. He said, I want you to do that. In, in Deuteronomy chapter 10, he said that God said, I am a God who loves the orphan, who, who defends the orphan and the widow, and I'm a God who loves the foreigner. And you are to love him like he was a native born. Over and over again throughout the law, there was this admonition, treat those that are foreign among you, those who are minority among you, treat them like yourself. Don't you dare mistreat them. In fact, I want you to overly uh, welcome them and show them hospitality and understand that's the kind of God I am. I'm a God like that. It's what the Bible communicates. God's a God who defends orphans, he defends widows, and he loves people who are not like uh, him. He wants us to love people that are different than us. And so, in, in Jesus, instead of just giving him, though, that answer, tells him a story. And he tells him the story of the Good Samaritan. And he talks about how this person who was in a, a despised race served somebody who had been beaten up and robbed uh, from a, a different race and took care of him. And he left a, a pattern for us to follow. Because he said, go do the same. And what he meant by that is simply this pattern. He stopped when he saw a need, and he cared. He was moved by compassion, and he stopped. The second thing he did is he served the person. In the story, he poured wine and oil on him. He bandaged his wounds. He put him on his donkey. He spent his money on his care. And then this, the last thing he talks about, and I think this is very important, is that he returned. He came back. He didn't just do one thing that made him feel good. He actually cared about the long-term well-being of the person. And so we looked at that story. Now, and I will just say this. I don't know how we could read a story like that from Jesus and see the kind of emphasis he put on it. In our world, as Christians who are white in this room and live in Athens, Georgia, that see the kind of economic uh, and socioeconomic separation and, and pain that's going on in the African-American community, I don't see how we can continue to pass by and act like it's not happening and do nothing and say we're actually following Jesus. I, I just don't see a more clean crisp parallel between what Jesus was talking about in that parable and what's going on in our world. That's just me personally. I don't, I don't see how we can keep ignoring and keep acting like something uh, doesn't need to be done. I just, I just don't personally. And so we looked at those two things, this idea of strongholds that, that exist, this idea of how Jesus taught us to go and love our neighbor, love people who look and act and think a little differently than you. Love them. And this is how you do it. You serve. You lay down your life. And you return. That's, that's what he laid out. And so this week I want to talk about um, just, how to, just sort of the, the, the way God brings about change in lives and in communities. 
How should we go about pursuing change? And then next week, we're going to cap this off. I'm going to have my dear friend, uh, Jamie Scott, who's the director of the Sparrow's Nest, uh, has a powerful testimony of how he was saved from being a gangbanger, and now he's a great minister doing great work here. And I want you to come and, and hear his story and see what we're talking about in action. So I want to talk today about change, how change happens, how a, a Christian should go about bringing about uh, this kind of change. And I want to look at James chapter 3. Hopefully you're there in verse 13. James chapter 3 verse 13. Let me give you a little background before we read this. And what I want to do is read this. I want to just kind of narrate and, and point out a few things that are in this brief passage. And then I want to give you, I think, three points that you can take away that will kind of help us and help direct us in, uh, as we move forward. Um, James was the brother of Jesus which would have been kind of cool. He grew up, Jesus was his, literally his literal older brother. And uh, we read from Josephus, the Jewish historian, um, they called him James the Just. That was his nickname because he was so committed to serving and giving and reaching out to the poor. And he was concerned about financial inequities that existed in the culture that created uh, separation. He was called James the Just, very, uh, very known for his stands on helping the poor and challenging uh, things that were wrong. And, and so Jesus' brother, and he was the head of the early church in Jerusalem. And we read about his history. He, um, there was a, a Roman procurer named Festus. Now what that meant, it was like the Romans put a governor over uh, Judea to sort of make sure everything was going the Roman way. And this guy died and there was a new guy coming in named Albinus. And as there was this transition period, the high priest in Jerusalem kind of assumed power. He's a very powerful person. And, and um, he, he actually went and had James martyred. He hated James. He had him martyred, and it caused such an uproar. People were so upset about it that when the new uh, procurer got there, he had to get, in the, the high priest's name was Annas II, he had to get him out of there because people were so upset about it. So this was James. He was martyred in 62 AD, and so this was a very early book. It was written very early, and we know from history what was going on in this time period is Judea, Judea had been uh, overtaken, and the taxation of the Romans was very severe. And so people who were middle income and poor who owned land and were trying to make it as farmers, what they had to end up doing to pay taxes and survive was they would sell their farms to the rich, aristocratic uh, Jews in the area, and they would work for them, and they were exploited financially. They had, they had to work for free. They were... Um, uh, you know, it was, it was a terrible situation that was going on. And it was causing a lot of unrest. There was a lot of revolt. There was a lot of rumors of, of, of revolt. And, and, and many of the Christians were part of that poor group that was being uh, abused and taken advantage of. And so they're asking questions about how do we handle this? What do we do? We hear these voices for change. We hear these voices for overthrow. What do we, how do we respond to them? What side do we fall on? And so James is writing, and if you read the book of James, throughout it, he challenges uh, the rich and the, the aristocrats. Throughout it, he challenges them about underpaying people, 
really strongly condemns him for that, condemns him for exploiting the, the poor and, and all this. But in this section, he addresses the calls for revolt, and he addresses the, the other voices that are going on. And he balances them out. And I want to read this in chapter 3, verse 13. And then just go through it with you. Uh, verse 13, James asks this question. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done, and the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven but it's earthly, it's unspiritual, and it's demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find evil, you will find disorder in every evil practice. Verse 17, for the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers, who sow in peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Again, let's look at this, what he's talking about here in verse 13. First thing he says, he asks a question, who's wise and who's understanding? Now, in dealing with the social unrest of their day, James is asking a question, who's really got answers? Who's really hearing from God? Who is really possessing the wisdom that is from God? Who is possessing answers from God's? Who should you be following? Who should you be acting? Who should be, you know, voice should be speaking to you about how you conduct yourself? Who is it? Who is it? And so then he goes on and he says this. Let them, and he has two words that are very powerful here. Let them show it. By their good life, by deeds. Let them show it. Let them do it. Look at their life. Look at what they're doing. Are they producing real results that answer the challenges of our community? You know, when the George Floyd situation came out, Everybody wanted to say something. Everybody wanted to speak. No pastor wanted to not be heard. There was a lot of people saying things, a lot of voices going out there. There was a lot of entertainers. There was a lot of politicians. There was a lot of this and that. But, but I always think, do, can you, are you living it? Are you producing it, Mr. Pastor? You're, you're giving us advice about what to do, but is it being demonstrated in your life at all? Are you just saying something to be seen? You know, one of the common phrases you'll hear a lot of is this phrase, speaking truth to power. Speaking truth to power, and it sounds really wonderful. And self-exalting, I am speaking truth to power. Aren't I grand? Speak truth to yourself first. Speak truth to yourself. 
Speak truth to yourself. You know, I'm amazed. I'm just going to be real honest. I'm amazed how we have entertainers and we have in our culture that are advocating for how much black lives should matter. But yet look at the content of their art. They're perpetuating a condition. They're perpetuating values that are utterly self-destructive. It's one thing to complain about somebody else, and it's one thing, but what about our, are, are these voices genuine? Show by your deeds. Show by your deeds. Where, where are these coming from? Where are these voices coming from? What are they like? And he, he goes on here. He talks about the humility that comes from wisdom. And then he says in verse 14, but if you harbor Bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart. The, the idea behind the word harbor is to have a friend over. Is to protect somebody. Is to conceal somebody. And it is to have something very important to you. Something very important, precious to you that you just keep. You harbor. You protect. <clears throat> and he's asked this question. What are you really harboring in your heart? What's all this coming out of? Is it selfish ambition? Is it bitter jealousy? The, the, the idea behind bitter jealousy is the word zealot. It means it, zeal. It means just this, this unction for revolution and, and that was going on in their day. And, and James is really challenging where these emotions are coming from. What's igniting them? And he goes on here and he really warns these Christians. If you harbor these things, don't boast about it. And he talks about in verse, in verse 14, about denying the truth. We deny the truth. And what that literally means is to separate from the truth, to be disconnected, to be removed, from, to, to, to break it off, to be detached from the truth. You know, if I had an appliance that was an electrical appliance, and I unplugged it, that appliance would be powerless. And if Christians, we're going to go seek solutions and we're detaching it. The solutions that we pursue, we detach them from the truth. They become powerless. And what we mean by the truth is this. It is the gospel that changes people. It is the message of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. It is when God comes through the through the power of the gospel and cleanses a human being of their sin and the Holy Spirit fills them that real change happens that somebody becomes new almost well, three years ago two years ago my dear friend over here Gator Green our own Gator Green <laughs> Gator didn't go mind me sharing his story I asked him about this but he uh Gator uh, had a, had a uh, interesting life before he met Christ. Would you say the least? He did. He did that. Um, he was just the guy you didn't want to mess with. I'll just say that. And he, uh, but he was a football star back in high school and a baseball star. And um, you know, Ted had a rough, challenging time. And three years ago, uh, he was homeless. Things had been had gone wrong. He had one tooth in his head. He's laughing. I'm not. 
He'll tell you that. The devil left him a mess. And uh, Begator got saved, got in our church, got in Bible study. He was in Bible study with um, one of our, our businessmen here in town. And he wanted us to take him in his, to this beautiful office that he was at, where, that he was the, uh, the company he was running. And we went there, uh, and he was showing Gator and I around. And, and uh, it was really interesting. There was a guy there in, in town from a very prominent family in Athens that actually knew Gator. He had, he had played baseball with some of their kids. They knew him well. Their, some of their uh, uh, uncles had coached him. And uh, they knew him, and he was just surprised to see. He's like, wow, Gator, it's... What have you been up to? What are you doing? And they were just talking. And, and he said, well, Gator said, well, I go to Bible study uh, with these guys. And he goes, oh, that's, and he says, I, you know, I was a homeless. I was a mess. And now I'm in Bible study. And the guy goes, oh, that's so wonderful that you got religion. And Gator looked at him and said, I didn't get religion. I got saved. I got baptized. My sins got forgiven. And God came and lived inside me by the Holy Spirit. I didn't get religion. We err. And here's what, here's what James is saying. If you think real change comes to anybody else but Christ, if you think real change to a human being comes to any other thing, than by a human being receiving the gospel and being transformed by his power. You're denying the truth. You're detached from the most powerful, transforming reality there is. And he says, don't do that. Don't boast. Don't be arrogant. Don't think these, these ideas you have in your head that you're harboring are going to bring about change. Change happens through that miracle, and nothing is like it. Nothing's like it. So he goes on here, and he continues to talk, and if you read down through in verse 15, he talks about this wisdom, this advice, this mindset that was prevalent in their culture. Here's what he says, this thing's earthly. And then he says it's unspiritual. There's nothing spiritual about it. And then he says it's actually demonic. It's evil. You see, if you and I have stuff wrong in our heart, it's going to be like a magnet attracting and drawing the wrong things. And if we're harboring stuff and we're just reading stuff and we're just planting this in our soul, he says, no, it's not going to work. That's not the way it should work. Deny the truth. And he goes on here, verse 17, he says, but there is a wisdom that comes from heaven. It's first of all pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. You know, when Martin Luther King was marching and leading the civil rights movement in America. He's very famous for before their marches and before their gatherings, he would get the, the room of, of people that were involved together. And he would look at them and he would say, he would say very sternly, 
If you're here and you're marching just to win freedom and civil rights and equity for our people, I don't want you to come with us. Because we also need to march, not just for our sakes, but we need to march for the sake of our oppressor who is, and to see him set free from his bigotry and from the prejudice that, that, he, that he's tormented by. If you're not marching for him as much as for the other, don't come with us. That's the wisdom from God. That's the perspective of God. That is somebody who is saying, God, what do you want this to look like? How do I bring about changes that, you're, that are authentic and that are genuine and are from you and what will lead to a genuinely better society? Now I want to close with just three thoughts, three takeaways that I hope will be helpful for you as we, you and I discern the wisdom of God in this. Number one is the idea of change. Idea of change. Where does change come from? Where does it begin? Where does it initiate? Again, it is very easy to blame everything on the wealthy, isn't it? And the powerful. And say, oh, they need to they need to, they need to, the, the truth is change begins with you. This is what James says. If you've got solutions, demonstrate them. Live them out. Let's see your solutions. Let's see what you got. Change is, it, it begins with you and I changing who we are. If, if you're walking by and you see somebody beat up on the side of the road, and you go, shoot, that's, the, that's somebody else's fault. That's somebody else's pride. Nothing gets done. It's about what you and I do. Change is about changing yourself. It's about owning the situation in your community for yourself. Change yourself. Change yourself. The second thing is the idea of persuasion versus coercion. What's the mechanism for change? Better politics? Listen, I'm for better laws. I'm for better mechanisms. If they really work, sure. But if you look at the, the Gospels, Jesus did not come around to bring social change. He didn't speak to laws. He didn't speak to... This He came around here to change human beings. In fact, there's a story in John chapter 6 where Jesus goes and he does a great miracle. He feeds 5,000 people with fishes and loaves. And it's a very powerful miracle to be a part of. And the people are, are just, their minds are blown by it. And the Bible says in John 6, 15 that because of this, the people decided they were going to make him king by force. They were going to be coercive. We're going to force this on them. And you know what Jesus did? Out of here. He just left. Hope you enjoyed the meal. I'm done with this. You're not getting this. 
you're not getting this. One time he went to a community and uh, they didn't like him. And they kicked him out of the city, these two cities. And his disciples said, call down fire on them, man. And Jesus said, you don't know what spirit you're of. You want me to use power to coerce people? He says, that's not how we do it. The, the, the real method that brings about change is example. It's your example. There's nothing like it. There is nothing like example of again and again and again and again and again the solutions we long for, the changes we want to see happen, happen one at a time and one at a time and changes are happening in us and those changes in us are affecting the community around us. That is the method. It's not a political change. It's a personal change. It's when God's moving in hearts in really powerful, really in profound ways. And the last thing is just this, is that real change happens by the power of the gospel. Paul talked about wisdom, and one of the elements of wisdom is the word and. A and D. God's wisdom can be seen in the word and. When you think of theological topics, we talked, did a series, of, I think a year ago, on the paradoxes, how there's an and. God is a God of justice and mercy. Jesus is fully God and he's fully man. And the Christ, grace is inclusive and exclusive. We have these ands uh, that, that, that really demonstrate the brilliance of God. And and is about two things. It is about mercy. It's about social justice. It is about giving and generosity. And it's about the gospel. Jesus' first sermon, you can read it in Luke chapter 4. The first thing he said, he rolled out a scroll, he read a text, and then he, and he said this, the Spirit of God is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Not feed the poor, not make their lives better. It is to preach the gospel to the poor. It is mercy and gospel. You see, all all, all our government could ever do. All it can do is this. All it can do is put a new suit on a man. It can just put a new, new suit on a man. That's all it can do. And what the gospel does is it puts a new man in the suit. It puts a new man in the suit. And those are the type of changes God wants to bring to our community and to our country. And, and, I, and I, this is the way I think we orient ourselves as Christians. That's where the wisdom of God is at. It's in asking, asking not the changes I want to see to our society. What kind of changes need to happen to me? And what's persuading people is not force, it's not coercion, but it's the power of your example. And then it's seeing the power of the gospel demonstrated in individual lives over and over again. That's, that's the template James is laying out here. Let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this 
passage. We thank you for how it speaks to us and to our day. Father, help us to be discerning. Help us to just examine ideas, examine emotions that are being forced on us to see if they really are from you or not. To ask ourselves questions, does the rantings of the people we're following, do they look like this passage? Do they look like the kind of wisdom you describe here? And if not, give us the grace and the courage to reject them, move on. Help us to live out the solutions you have for our city. Help us to live them out. Help us to demonstrate your kingdom, your brilliance, your ability to solve challenging issues. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Classic City Church. We hope that together we can honor the greatness of Jesus by growing spiritually, living authentically, and participating in His purposes. For more information or more sermons from Classic City Church, please visit www.classiccity.org.